Welcome to Wealthy Experts, where we interview experts in their field so that we can learn all the best ways, tools, and tips that they use to build a wealthy life. I hope you enjoy the episode. Everybody, welcome to another Wealthy Podcast. This is the last episode of the season, and we finish on a high note. We have Chris Athanasios. He is a commercial lawyer and a longtime friend of mine. He is above all else a deal maker. So for all of you that are running businesses, interested in running businesses and you know interested in how you can commercially structure deals in the right way, this is the podcast for you. I want to say thank you all for your time, your attention, all of your support in watching the show, the, the wealthy experts, um, wealthy in the UK as well as Espanol and the main show. Um, it's been a pleasure working with you and presenting this great information to all of you through the year. It has been trying and testing times. Um, I hope you've got plenty of value and we really do appreciate all of the questions and, and requests that come through on YouTube as well as all the other social channels. Have a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year and a fantastic break. And if I don't see you between now and then, I'll catch you next year. Welcome, everybody, to another Wealthy Podcast. This is our Wealthy Experts segment. And today, I have the privilege, no, the honor, of having uh, Chris Athanasios. He is the principal at Miller Prince. Now, I like this podcast. I like doing this show because I get to talk to so many different people, some that don't have great relationships or don't know that well, but some are friends of mine. And Chris is a guy that I've known for many, many years. In fact, I was one of the first people stumbling around his office when it was just him and uh, two other fellas starting the business. Now, Miller Prince has grown exponentially over the past, what, three years? Uh, five years now. Five years. Five, five years. years. Five years in February. So it'll be five years in February. Um, Chris and his team work on a variety of different legal matters. Now, the thing that I want to talk to Chris about today is he is a deal maker. He works with some of the biggest companies across Australia. He does, he does a lot of my contracts. He does a lot of our corporate set, um, setups. And he's been there through some of the toughest times. So, you know, he's a man that I can rely on and someone that I always refer to. Chris, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me on the, on the, on the podcast. So uh, it's, a, it's a great privilege of mine. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, mate, I'm very lucky. Very, very lucky. <laughs> well, look. Not everybody knows you as well as I do. Would you be happy to share a little bit about your story? Um, you know, how Miller Prince came about, where, where we are today and how, how you have sort of built the career and business that you have? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I did the typical undergrad law degree and, you know, I was working in a, in, in a bunch of law firms. And um, as I graduated, the boutique firm that I was working with at that time offered me a, a job as a lawyer. I worked with one of my business partners there, George, um, who, who I'm now a business partner with, him and I were working together in that boutique firm. And we both said, okay, let's get some different experience in different firms. So I, George went off in, to Spark Hillmore and got a lot of property experience. I went off to um, Minter Ellison in the corporate finance team. was so working on some great deals there and working with some great people who I keep in touch with until today. Um, and then two years while I was at Minter's, George called me up and said, hey, let's go out and start a firm. And, you know, I never really took it that serious at that point. And then you know, after we fleshed it out a bit, I was like, oh, look, this might actually be a goer. So um, George introduced me to our third business partner today, Matt. Um, they were working together at Spark Helmore, again, in the property team. And so the three of us got together, got the drawing board out. Um, and five years ago, 
we uh, started or um, co-founded Miller and Prince Lawyers. And, you know, you were there at the very beginning. I remember meeting you and you were, at, you know, at Third Eye. And so um, at that time when we were going out and opening, opening the firm, you know, I had a lot going on. I was lecturing at university. I was co-authoring co a book. And then um, it's been five years, haven't looked back once since. Um, and it's been a great journey. The thing about your journey is you've been methodical and very disciplined about how you've applied yourself. And, but along the way, you've also taken those leaps of faith. One thing that I noticed from, from the outside is, you know, you applied yourself, you wrote this book, and that actually helped you get some early work because people started deferring to you on the subject matter expert. And suddenly you got some really big contracts as a young man. What can I, I don't know if I can say the names of the businesses, but yeah, pro probably, probably not the names of the businesses, but some, you know, um, I, I was 25 years old. I'll never forget this. And my close friend, Nick Merzai, who you know very well, he's the one that co-authored the book with me on the securities law. And we ran this application with about 4,000 um, parties to the proceedings to fix, fix up that party, that, that company's um, securities registrations. Um, and I, I was pinching myself when I got the matter because it was an excellent matter to run. The firm was fresh. It was great to put on the CV. Um, and, and so since then, you know, I think that added to the credentials. Um, people started to realise, okay, they're doing good quality work, et cetera, et cetera. And can, can I talk a little bit about, because it's, it's the quality of the work, certainly, but no offence to you, there's a lot of good lawyers out there that yeah. may be just as good as you. What makes, why do you think your firm has been so successful pinching huge contracts multinational brands are coming to you over the larger agencies? Um, I think I think because we try to work with the client, like understand the client objective rather than, um, you know, butting heads, we actually try to say, okay, what is the client trying to achieve and how do we use the legal avenue to, to achieve that? Um, so open communication, good relationship, a genuine care for trying to get a good result, a common end result, um, I think is largely attributable to us being able to get good quality work. And we're very grateful for those clients, I guess. You know, humility adds to that. We, we are never complacent. We know that there's many firms out in the market that are, that are able and probably more competent than us in terms of doing the work. But, you know, our job is to try to get the job done efficiently, effectively, um, and, and I guess charging at a reasonable rate as well, assist. Um, and just having a good relationship with the clients and, and being true to ourselves. If we're not expertise in a particular area, we say it. We've got a circle of networks that are able to assist, for example, intellectual property law. I have no idea how to do that, but I've got a network of people who are able to do that. And I'm not afraid to palm the client off to, to those um, experts. So specifically, you know, I met the guys when they were at Spark Mall and, and um, Matt and George, they do property law. They deal yeah. with big, large commercial matters. They also do single conveyancing matters. They've helped a lot of my clients. What do you do? I mean, what you do is kind of hard to put your finger on because it's so diverse, but how would you sort of... Yeah, yeah. so my, what, what I do is um, corporate, um, corporate slash banking. And what, what that is, is you want to invest in a business or you want to buy a business or you want to sell a business. And what that looks like can be a variety. It could be, you can buy a 20% interest in a, in, in a business, not a complete buyer, or you can, you can purchase a business entirely, or you could sell the business entirely or sell a minority interest in the business. But also with the banking element is because, you know, as you know, all the articles are saying these days, debt is so cheap. 
We also do a lot of private lending work. So acting for borrowers who are borrowing money to either buy a business or working capital or whatever it may be. But we also act for private lenders who lend their own money out in the market um, to small businesses. So that is essentially in summary, what, what my practice areas are, what my practice group is. Awesome. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, sounds like you're really doing like uh, working with security, you're working with businesses, commercial nice. law, it's understanding deal structures and nice. protecting your client's interest, but also making sure we can get through. Um, Getting the deal done is, is, is the key, right? Um, you know, just making sure that, you know, the, the, there's always a deal to be done um, and we can always abridge issues. And the idea as a commercial lawyer is to put yourself in the client's shoes to try to get the deal done. So, you know, at the moment, I feel like I talk to a number of different businesses and there's always, there's a lot of different external influences. It feels like it's a funny market, both in finance, in business, in property, you know, even, you know, from politically, there's a lot of different things. What are you seeing out, out there in your world that you think is especially relevant to yourself and then I guess to us out there? What's, what's sort of bubbling away in the background that you're paying close attention to? So there's a lot of movement in terms of um, clients um, purchasing businesses or selling businesses or investing in businesses um, and people borrowing and, and then borrowing money to do that. Um, and, and, and the reason for that is, I guess, um, you know, the market's hot at the moment. Um, so we're seeing, we're, we're acting, I mean, alone, I've got about four sales of businesses, two purchases, um, all happening at once. And just before we jumped on this podcast, I mean, I just got a matter where we need to circulate first draft of documents tomorrow to sell a business. So, uh, or exchange before Christmas. So I, I, I'm just seeing a lot of activity in terms of the business market just moving and whether that's, you know, a bit of distress, people trying to mitigate their loss um, or growth businesses, uh, there's a bit of a mixture, but definitely there is that growth element, those growth businesses where a lot of people are, like I said, selling, buying, investing um, in, in, in those businesses and in a range of industry sectors as well. I was going to say, is there any, is there any um, are you seeing any commonality between these transactions or is it big businesses buying small ones? Is it people trying to step up? Is it, what, how, what, what are you seeing specifically? Uh, um, I wouldn't say anything in particular because, you know, what I do is there's, there's no, I, I don't focus on an industry sector. Um, um, so I focus on a, on a range of, a broad range of industry, industry sectors. So I'm not seeing anything in particular. All I'm seeing is, you know, the deal movement, the, the, there is a lot happening. And what do you attribute that to? And is it also just to, you said something earlier about the, the access to funds. Is it like bigger or smaller ticket sizes? Like what kind of magnitudes are we talking about? Uh, in terms of banking, um, people borrowing money, I'm, I'm seeing the advances anywhere between half a mil, um, you know, like that private lending, that half a mil till about that four mil, five mil, five million dollar mark. Um, yeah. that's, that's where my the, the banking work is. Um, and, 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 you know, people borrowing that money, like I said, for working capital, um, acquiring an asset, acquiring, you know, a particular um, a business, you know, a small valued business, um, a, ra a range of things, I guess. And do you see that this is, this kind of transaction, do you get the sense that this is, you know, positive consumer sentiment or cons a positive business sentiment because people are upscaling or buying or moving? Or do you see, or is it a bit sort of confused or muddied or? There's, I see it definitely in the growth businesses positive. There's only one business where it's, it's a bit distressed. The business is a bit distressed. And so they want a quick sale so they could try to mitigate their loss. That's probably 
that's that's probably the one business at the moment that I'm dealing with at the moment where they want to try and mitigate their loss. Otherwise, it's just been growth businesses. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Or, or, or one particular um, business, um, a, rent, a rent roll business, just to put a bit of a property twist on it. Um, it wasn't your ordinary rent roll. Um, they were just wanted to complete, they wanted a retirement, so they just wanted to cash out of the business. You know, it was a great multiple on the recurring revenue and um, and they just wanted complete retirement. There was no growth to it or, or anything like that. Okay. And, and you know, it, it obviously sounds like you're doing a lot of commercial work, a lot of buying, lending to buy, you know, resource scale up or to buy and acquire other businesses and things. What is there a typical type of deal that you would work on? Like, what's the kind of thing that, yeah. you know, if I'm thinking about you and Miller Prince, what would what would a typical deal be? Where would you say your sort of your niche or where you'd apply your skill sets the best? Like, what's your sharper sword? Yeah. So, so in terms of deal corporate deal structure, there's no the the, the typical is. Cash consideration, so a vendor wants to sell their business or purchase wants to purchase the business, right? How does that consideration actually look? And I see a broad range of it. Cash consideration, consideration in the form of shares, so script per script. So a vendor says, okay, uh, you know, you give me 50% cash, the remaining balances I reinvest in, you know, a holding company and I hold shares in that company, you know, because I share the growth of the purchaser, et cetera. Um, deferred consideration, um, you know, the consideration may be deferred. Um, and if the, if the consideration is deferred, if that deferred consideration not paid, then default interest applies. And then earnout provision. And typically that earnout provision is, you know, subject to the performance of the business and the vendor being comfortable to say, I think I can reach the metrics in the next financial year and the financial year thereafter. And so they hold back the, the balance of the purchase price or the balance of the consideration, I should, I should say is paid out, you know, subject to the performance being met by the vendor. And then, you know, with those, so with, with that sort of transaction structure, um, you know, you have your ordinary provisions that you negotiate in, in these sort of deals. You've got, um, you know, you negotiate the purchase price, the adjustments to the purchase price, any conditions to the sale and purchase. For example, if the purchaser is obtaining finance to um, acquire the business. Well, a, a common condition is the finance condition. Um, you know, your warranties, extensively negotiating the warranties and the, and the disclosure to those warranties. If a vendor, a purchaser is going to want adequate warranties and the vendor's got to give those warranties, provided that they're agreed, well, any disclosures that do need to provide their warranties, so there's no breach of warranty claim. And then, you know, with the warranty sort of subject matter, there's the caps, you know, what's the maximum liability in terms of caps? You know, a common one is the maximum liability a purchaser can sue the vendor for is the purchase under the is the purchase price under the agreement? Um, your indemnities, you know, the, the fact that the vendor needs to give indemnities to the purchaser, and typically that arises because the purchaser does due diligence on 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 the business and things that that may arise um, that may be prejudicial to the purchaser, and so the vendor gives an indemnity in respect of those issues. And then you know your other matters such as restraining the vendor and making sure they don't go set up shop, you know, a few. Um, a few a few days later after completion, um, and you know typically your tax matters as well are commonly discussed as well. So this is, I mean, selling a property, buying a property is relatively straightforward. You know, all the things you just described are kind of in, are inside of a property in many many ways. You've got to just you've got to disclose if there's something wrong with the property. You've got to 
you know, say that there might be some lending or I might be able to give you some money today and then I have to organize finance into the future. But when you're buying and selling businesses, I feel like the margin of area, error is much, much tighter. And, and, and there's much more subjects and subject matters to discuss. Um, yeah. And, and Canvas. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut across you. No, right. please. It's good that you yeah. said that because, you know, do, do you find that when you are buying, trading or selling businesses, there is an element that you need to be a subject matter expert as the solicitor or is it just subject matter expert in, in the types of businesses or... Well, this is the thing that I love about the mid-market deals that we do all, you know, the, between the small to, to mid-market deals that we do. A, as a lawyer in a boutique firm, you can sort of canvas a number of areas with, within reason, of course. I mean, I always get my employment experts involved when there's an employment aspect. I always get my IP lawyers involved when there's an IP, IP aspect. Um, I always get my tax guys involved whenever there's a tax. Those are generally the three areas. Um, and if there's very bespoke matters such as like cybersecurity or something like that. Again, I'll get somebody involved, but commonly, you know, as a corporate lawyer and the, and the great thing about being a corporate lawyer is you've got to be across a number of different areas. And by areas, I mean, subject matters. So um, understanding, um, you know, how to adjust the purchase price. How does the purchase price play and, and play out in the, in the deal, but also, you know, adjusting, making sure the finance is in order, you know, being part of a boutique firm, you can, you can you can be across one maximum two areas of law anything beyond that in my view i think you're stretching yourself so you you need to be true to yourself in terms of making sure when to call on the expert and and try to make that price um, price effective for the client as well and do you think that you know as a business owner there's lots and lots of small to medium-sized businesses out there are there do you feel like there's a, a number of as you talk, I'm talking to you, I feel like there's a, a number of underutilized businesses. And I mean that in a way that working with you earlier on the piece would help you as a business owner understand how to map your business out in a way to be better saleable in the future or how to avoid certain commercial terms along the way or to sort of get you built to sell ready, if you will. Do, yeah. do you think there's merits in talking to you today if you're thinking about selling in, say, five years or, or starting yeah. these conversations? Absolutely. I'm a big fan about, I'm a big fan for clients having the right team around them. And by right team, I mean this the right lawyer, the right tax advisor, or the right accountant, the right banker. Having the right team makes the transaction so much more enjoyable and seamless, right? Because you've just got the right team together all on the same page. And we're all aware of each other's roles and, you know, the, the, the different elements involved in a deal. I, I'm a big believer that a, a client should always be discussing, you know, with their advisors or, you know, their team, quote unquote, early in the piece and planning the exit. Um, you know, if, if we're talking about exiting a business, planning the exit, making sure that you've got the necessary employment contracts in place, making sure your IP is properly protected, making sure that your contracts with your customers are watertight. Um, all this assists with the exit process because when you're acting for a purchaser, you try to look for, for issues in the business. Not try to look for issues, but you try to, in your due diligence process... Drive you, the price down. Exactly, right? Yeah. Well, this, this, con, this customer is not subject to a material contract. They can walk away tomorrow. Whereas if you've got them subject to a minimum term of, say, three years, four years, like all of a sudden it looks a bit more... Likely looks a bit more attractive to the purchaser or to a purchaser. And is there... Are there 
you know, you're seeing so many different types of deals. Are you, are you seeing opportunities in the market? Do you think that, you know, a medium size entrepreneur or someone that's got a bit of cash or you may be in someone that's new to business and looking to start up businesses, are there types of businesses that you're seeing that you think are going to become more or less valuable in the future? Um, technology is definitely a big one, right? Like everything's moving to tech. That's that's what I'm seeing. Um, and probably uh, cybersecurity is a particular area where I think could be quite um, expensive in the future. Um, but that's that's pretty much where, where, where I see it and my limited view on it, right? Um, because I'm so involved in the legals, but I try to get a commercial aspect to it. So I always speak to my clients. Um, I mean, you know, right? Like I like to have a personal relationship, understand the nature of the business. Like what are we what are we selling over here? Or what are we buying? So we can focus on what's material and not some not some provision that has no material effect on on on, on the um on the deal. Yeah, making sure we're talking about the right things and not get stuck on the details that don't matter. Exactly. No, not, not negotiating an extensive indemnity, which won't matter, for example. Understanding what's actually this business and what is the what is the value of the business. Yeah, good one. So look, I know I know personally that you're doing very well for yourself. So I wanna I wanna step away from the business side of things and I wanna talk a little bit about wealth. I wanna talk about wealth creation and you know, um, I wanna ask you, what's your one percent? wealth hack what's what's the one thing that you've done personally or one thing that you've learned on your journey that you think you could pass on to all of us to make our lives a little wealthier um i think i think you know from my perspective from my perspective taking pride in what you do is is so important and i always and warren buffett i mean he's one of my favorite investors said do the job that you would do if you weren't paid to do it right um, and I think I think there are so many people out there, or there are people out there, probably not so many that you know when they go out, they they focus on the money. I, I don't necessarily think the money. I think the money should sit on the list. I definitely don't think it should sit at the top of the list. Um, direct your attention, you know, to solving the problem of your audience, and you'll make the money in the process. Um, and 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 this notion of focusing on the money, um, especially at the cost of your reputation. I don't necessarily think is the right approach. Everyone's entitled to their view, but from my perspective, I don't think it's the right approach. Um, you know, this quote, as you know, in my office, my favorite quote by Warren Buffett, where he says, lose all the money for the firm and I'll be understanding, lose your shred of reputation for the firm and I'll be ruthless. Um, I really think, you know, that's helped me. I've always had that mentality and that ethos. I get that from my parents as well. Um, you know, if I won the lotto tomorrow, I still feel like I'll be doing the exact same thing because I generally, I love my clients. Um, I love working for them. I like, I, I try my best to get the best result for them. And, and you know, naturally, um, everything follows after that. Look, as you're saying, I've got a little bit of chills, not to sound corny because it makes so much sense. You know, I read Obama's book and he said, you know, make it about the work. You know, there's so much stuff that, especially on your climbing that mountain when you're, you're, you're chasing a noble pursuit, you can sometimes get sucked into the stresses and the mundane and the daily bullshit. But if you make it about the work, that's that one thing that will always carry you through. You know, making an extra dollar doesn't change your life. I so agree with that. And just, you know, that's that's the what, what I adopt in my practice. You know, if, if a client comes to me and says, he's an intellectual prop property matter and can you run with it? 
you know, I think it would be greedy of me and selfish of me to try to make that quick penny to do it. And I'm not an intellectual property expert, right? Wrecks my reputation. No, I palm it out to the expert and they'll handle, handle it. That sh short-sighted notion is just um, probably not something that I've ever lived by and, and I hope to never live by. Um, and I just think, you know, the, having, having a bigger picture is probably the right approach. And, and also understanding, trying to work with people and understanding people's objectives and perspectives and trying to work together, um, a, a teamwork and to achieve that common goal is probably, uh, you, you know, it's, it's amazing what teamwork, what you can achieve with teamwork. So, you know, you, you've, you've talked about what sounds like to be a core principle and a philosophy. Is there anything that you've learned recently or seen recently that a movie you've watched, something that's inspired you or a, a little bit of philosophy you've picked up that's just recently surprised or changed your paradigm or? Um, uh, the, the, Mark, there's, there's a firm that I look up to a lot um, called Arnold Block Lever um, and one of the founders there, Mark Lever, there was an article in the AFR and he had a quote, which um, is, is something along the lines of, um, you know, I've always believed, he said, he said something along the lines of, I've always believed that if you're going to lead a life, it, sh it should be something meaningful and worthwhile as possible. Um, and that's not new to me. So it's not something new, but recently it's re resonated with me. And I've, I've, I've started to appreciate that quite a lot more recently, because as you grow older, you start to think about well, what's your purpose in life and wh why are you doing what you do, et cetera. And, and often you hear people say, well, if you got, if, if, if you do a good purpose or if you are doing a good purpose, then likely it's going to give you some sort of fulfillment. Um, and I feel like from my perspective, if I can help, you know, I, I apply that quote to myself, if I can help a vendor or a purchaser or an investor investing in the business and making that process enjoyable and seamless, I feel like that is quite, so far, I felt like that is quite rewarding to me. Um, and I feel like that's a particular purpose and it's, it's, it's giving me a bit of meaning in my life, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's, it's, it's not, like I said, it's not something that I've learned recently, but it's something that I've started to appreciate more recently. Mm, we're see, I'm seeing more gray hairs in that beard of yours, so maybe a bit more wisdomous. Yeah, <laughs> just about. <laughs> so listen, this is the last part. Thank you for your time. I don't want to take up your whole afternoon, but you know, this is where I want to talk about leaning on the network. And this is where we can rely upon you. Or what can we come to you for help and then what, you, what we can do for you? So, so what can you do for us? What, what's one thing that, you know, the network can lean on you for? Um, so, you know, our typical, a, a typical client for us is, you know, white collar individual, um, uh, you know, a small to large business or businesses in a range of industry sectors. So our, our practice areas are corporate, you know, and by corporate, I mean, buying, selling, investing in businesses, banking, lending, borrowing money. Um, and then as you pointed out, um, real estate, both, residential, commercial, small end, large end. Um, my business partners do. Uh, George also specializes in strata. And then we do the beauty that I love. The thing that I love about this firm is we do the front end and the back end um, work, which is, which is essentially the transactions and also the disputes and litigation. So that's where we can help, um, um, you know, people or, or, or the network. Awesome. And then what can we do for you? What's one thing that's happening now that's that's relevant or you're thinking about and, and we can do to help you? Well, well, I know you guys, you know, help, you know, real estate investors in terms of buying in high growth, growth areas. And as, as you know, I recently purchased in the city. 
But I, I feel like in the next five to 10 years, I'd like to make, you know, hopefully, if all, all goes to plan, another purchase. What, what's your view about, you know, buying in, for example, um, you know, Avalon Beach or down south or, um, you know, more remote areas? I think, and this is going to be a little bit, little bit crazy and a little bit woo-woo. So what I've noticed is that as, as travel times compress or as, you know, the access to work gets easier to particular locations, property prices go up. So what I mean by that is, you know, with COVID making people allowed to, allowing people to work from home, houses that were beautiful and uh, uh, had a lifestyle component, which ordinarily were hard to commute to work. Now you can work from home three or four days a week. They rocketed up in price. Regional properties rocketed up in price. Tree change, sea change, they all rocketed up in price. Even so far as three hours away become a, a viable option for people. Um, I actually think that that will compress. But one thing that people have not thought about so often is autonomous vehicles. I think that autonomous vehicles are going to have an impact on property prices. And I think that like uh, lifestyle locations will become more normalized. And I also think that over time, cities will decentralize. And I mean that people are already, even count, uh, governments talking about becoming uh, more community, more local council aware. So sort of decentralizing in a way. So allowing more power to go to municipalities. And I think that that's also going to drive a lot more retail trade, a lot more commercial transactions. So locations that are one and a half, three hours from CBD centers will keep on being a good quality sort of investment option. The, 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 the key thing in there is that you need to be mindful of the cost of, uh, the cost of servicing. So provided you can service the debt or you know, have a viable holiday option or something, then I think that they're going to be good locations. Nice homes in good locations will keep on growing. And I yeah. think that you know, in some ways it's land banking, but if you can get a good rental return, I'm certainly an advocate. Yeah, right, right. right. That's just my thoughts on the matter. No, no, love it, love it. Thank you, mate. <laughs> no worries. Look, and again, if anybody out there that is looking for commercial services or for lawyers that do the type of work that Chris does, reach out to the team. Any questions you have for Chris, leave them in the comments. If you've enjoyed something in one little bite size, feel free to cut it, share it, like it, leave comments, all that fun stuff. Have an awesome week and we'll catch you later. Thanks so much, Dom. Thanks, Chris.